Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Ann Zaccardi, the accidental neuroscientist and owner of AZ Communications. Using the ingenuity she discovered after a traumatic brain injury, along with three decades as a corporate communicator, business owner, social media expert, and teacher, Anne challenges conventional ideas about intelligence, self-care, and creativity. Anne's two TEDx talks about how a brain injury made me smarter and how being unsafe makes you smarter and numerous keynote addresses in business, academia, and professional organizations not only inspire personal growth, but open the door for greater productivity, innovation, and teamwork. When she's not speaking, Anne is a world traveler, loves food and wine, and her favorite winter sport is knitting. Now let's welcome Anne to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. And Anne, we're going to unmute you right now. And first of all, I want to thank you very much for being my co-host today. Um, I actually watched your TED Talk X videos this morning, and they're very inspirational. You know, and I, I like how you've been able to take what a lot of people would see the as uh, you know conventional thinking, and because of you know your intelligence, but also because of your life experience, you've been able to you've been able to reframe things, and I think in a way that a lot of our listeners will find, be re, very receptive. Uh, so, Anne, welcome to today's radio show. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Tim. So let's get started by uh, letting the listeners know about. What you know your your experience? Let them know a little bit about your background, um, like you did in the introduction to your TED talk. <laughs> so these guys have a kind of a so we can frame where your experiences in the crossroads you've had in your life, and then we'll move forward with some of the other interesting and very I think uh, almost genius level concepts that you've come up with. Okay. Um... So I had a long history in corporate America um, as a technical writer, copywriter, small business owner, social media marketer. Um, And five years ago, almost um, exactly five years ago, October of 2011, I I had a mild traumatic brain injury, which by should have been mild. Um, Mild only refers to the impact, though, as I later found out. I'm still dealing with its effects five years later. Um, I fell in a bathtub in Germany and... um, flew home from Germany, and over the course of the next few days, uh, my symptoms got worse. I was was very dizzy. I couldn't read or write or speak properly. I couldn't even put together a sentence. And I went back to my very stressful corporate job. I was working in corporate communications at the time and tried to power through it. Um, And then a few days later, began to to vomit and have the worst headache of my life, and that's when I knew something was seriously wrong. So I went to the emergency room, and they told me I had what is called a mild traumatic brain injury, which um, also is known as a concussion, um, and that I should just 
do what's called brain rest and stay at home for a few weeks. So I did that. And brain rest means that you don't do anything. You don't read, you don't write, you don't drive a car, exercise. You basically stare at the ceiling and and empty your brain. It's kind of like a, a forced meditation, which if you're a very busy person, a very driven person, that's that's kind of impossible. <laughs> so after a few weeks of uh, brain rest, things weren't getting better, and I was I, I grew increasingly frustrated. Some things were even getting worse, and. Um, conventional, you know, primary care physicians didn't really know what to do with me. They just kept saying, more brain rest, more brain rest. And I kept saying, no, this <laughs> this, this isn't supposed to be going like this. It's not, I'm not supposed to be going backwards. Um, so out of frustration, I began to uh, blog about it. I started a blog called IWantMyBrainBack.com and got a lot of traffic and um, – also, during this time, I was getting very depressed because everything I knew about myself and defined myself by was being challenged. You know, I couldn't read or write, and when you're a writer in corporate America, that that's pretty important. And um, you know, I, I had a job that I couldn't do anymore, and uh, really began to think that perhaps I wasn't very smart anymore. Um, and um, I got invited to do my first TEDx talk in 2013 and it, not really um, it, thinking that I would ever become a professional speaker. In fact, I thought the whole thing was a, a joke when they first invited me to do a TEDx talk. Um, but I realized that I didn't want to be a brain injury speaker. I wanted to use this experience as a platform to talk about creativity and how we think about how we think and neuroplasticity and resilience and all of those things that that science is just starting to look at um and neuroscience is not i've learned just a thing for aging baby boomers it's it's something that we can nurture for a whole lifetime and so my focus began to become um how do we encourage people to adapt and be more creative and resilient without incurring a brain injury. So um, here I am today talking about that. Well, that's, you know, that's what interests – it really, it's, the way I interpret part of what you said is basically the importance of being a lifelong learner, being – reading, always, you know, looking for new challenges. But what you're really talking about is something, I think, on a different level, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, and I mean, and the lifelong learning thing is is important too. I think um, I've always been an eager learner, and so you know, I, I think that was already in place before my injury, and that really certainly aided in my recovery. Um, and 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 so my question has become: How do we teach people to become curious like that, and and to adapt, and to to become more childlike in in our um, in, in 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 dealing with everyday life and and creative and dealing with um, challenges that we come up against. Well, let's hover there because that's actually, I think, a good place for us to start really drilling down on some of your concepts uh, for the sake of our listeners. Why do people, and in your opinion, stop wanting to learn? Why is it that people seem to get to a certain point, right? They get to a certain point where they almost say, okay, I know enough, or maybe it's a conscious decision or a subconscious decision. I certainly see this in coaching. You know, people will come to us, and maybe they want to get better at one specific aspect of their business. But then, you know, you start talking about 
other aspects of their lives, and they haven't really evolved at all in decades. What happens with the brain that where we go from these, you know, incredibly the child's brains who want to learn everything, and then all of a sudden we sort of just stop at you know improving? What's what's up with that? <laughs> we develop um, neural pathways. You know, when we do something repeatedly, it's it's just like you know a, a road map. You know, you take the same route every time. It becomes very routine, right? And so, and that's what happens in our brains too. And it becomes all it becomes very comfortable. And um, but the the whole concept of neuroplasticity is that our brains throughout a lifetime have the ability to create different neural connections, new neural connections. And that's essentially what I was doing after my brain injury. Um, you know, I, I guess we just get comfortable, but it, now science tells us that we do have this ability to learn and to change our brains throughout a lifetime. And um, so why not? I mean, I, I think that's so cool. Who, who doesn't want to have that childlike curiosity and wonder of, of the world again? Societally or culturally, do you think that message is, 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 you know, or do you think we're basically being raised to sort, to not change, to not evolve, to stop wondering? It's kind of a, maybe a, a strange question, but no, I don't think it's a strange question at all. I've actually I tweeted this very thought um, a week or so ago. I, I think somehow when we embrace that childlike wonder and we laugh and we play, people think we're somehow not serious or we're lame, <laughs> and we don't take our work seriously enough or whatever. And I've actually recently, I'm involved in an organization that studies therapeutic humor, and the studies have shown that humor and curiosity and play all activate the same parts of the brain that meditation and prayer do, and that's really good for our brain. So why not have some fun? Why not get back into that childlike place? And, you know, I think for adults, of course, it's, it's always that fear of how silly do I look. <laughs> well, you know, from a coaching perspective, too, it's not just how silly do I look. It's basically their uh, unwillingness to make themselves uncomfortable and to accept yes. the fact that they have to go back to the point where they're, like, starting anew. You know, and when you – it's just fascinating from, a, again, just from coaching agents for so long is they'll have, like, someone will come to you and you'll kind of do a role play with them and you'll listen to, say, a specific thing that they're doing, say, a listing presentation, which is a really integral part of a realtor's life, you know, learning yeah. how to meet with a seller and help. Yeah, and then you go through the presentation, and as a coach, you're, like, write down all the things you hear that they could be doing better. And then you go back through them, and you know, you, depending on the person, you can either be direct or indirect and kind of walking them through the ways they can improve. And, like, 99.9% .9 of the time, even when they're paying you to help them, they'll resist. And they don't understand why they're resisting. And what I'm hearing you say is there actually is a sort of a almost a physiological imperative to cause them to resist. And unless they're willing to realize that, you know, they're not ever going to change. Am, am I overstating this? No, you're, you're, you're stating it perfectly. And um, I actually I did a second TEDx talk, and I called that the, the, the safe unsafe. It was about, you know, T taking risks that that you know feel slightly uncomfortable life is uncomfortable you know it's just the way it is and, and but but still being safe while doing it trying something slightly different you know eat your lunch with your opposite hand something you know take baby steps mm -hmm. but you've got to do it, it it's it, our brains resist it at first absolutely but novelty is what keeps our brains healthy so it's important Right. I mean, you know, exactly. Watch different – like when you find yourself um, 
when you find yourself being offended or you find yourself not liking what somebody else says, uh, <laughs> opposed to just basically falling back into the same th- sort of thought patterns that you had about, you know, I don't like that political stance or I don't like this or the other thing, sort of just question yourself why you think the way you think. And, you know, it can be sort of a, an introspective, you know, sometimes a waste of time, but other times it will help you to realize that maybe the thoughts you're having aren't really serving you anymore. And I, in, in, in our country – Globally, Absolutely. we seem to be going through a massive transition in, in how people, mm-hmm. you know, everything seems to be changing if you're paying attention to it. Technology, mm-hmm. we can talk about all the low-hanging fruit, but really mm-hmm. it seems to be almost something happening on a, you know, like what we're talking about now. People are realizing essentially that they're limiting, li- they're living limited lives by choice. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk a little bit about if someone wants to basically – you know, they're realizing that things aren't necessarily the way they wanted them to be. Maybe they've listened to this interview. Maybe they've listened to you on TED Talks. They've, you know, they connected with you, and they're realizing that, well, you know what? Maybe things don't have to be the way they are with my life. What would be what would be some steps, some specific things people can do, to uh, perhaps form some new neural pathways? Oh wow! <laughs> I always do this one when I give a keynote, and it's it always um, it, it, there's so many. Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, We're getting our money's worth. <laughs> there are uh, there are software programs. There's web-based software programs. We've all heard mm-hmm. of them that will take happily take your money so that you can do brain training. I think I think that stuff's crazy. I, I think it's ridiculous. You don't need to do that stuff. There, I mean, this this stuff is really really simple. It is as simple. I always do this when I give a keynote. Um, I ask the audience to, I say, raise your hand if you eat with your right hand. And so most of the audience raises their right hand. Okay, now raise your hand if you eat with your left hand. Then the rest of the people raise their hand. Okay, did it, you know, how many of you, it took you a minute to figure out which hand you eat with? And, you know, there's always laughter. And then I will say, okay, you know, we've got a lunch break coming up in a few minutes. I'm challenging you to go out. Whatever hand you didn't raise is called your non-dominant hand. Go out during your lunch break, and I'm challenging you to eat with your non-dominant hand and really embrace the discomfort because it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to make a mess. And that's okay. This process is messy. (laughs) When we're making a new neural pathway, it can be messy. And so I ask them to go out and eat their lunch with their uh, non-dominant hand, and sometimes I'll give them a hashtag and have them take pictures of it and, you know, or tweet <laughs> what the experience was like or come back to me and tell me what it felt like. And inevitably people always say it was really uncomfortable, I spilled all over my lap, blah, 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 blah. But they're always laughing and having a good time. So wouldn't it be great if we could um, – if we could – encounter every challenge in that way and and it and it can be that way so so that's a very simple one but you can do this every day try brushing your teeth with your, with your non-dominant hand um try um i don't know getting I'll tell you in the hand. dark walking backwards i don't know there's a million things so um and and, this and is the one- studies Oh, go ahead. Yeah, this is one my wife and I experiment with. This is you're, yeah. you're getting my you know you're getting my brain forming new neural pathways. <laughs> but this is something because because we 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 study this obviously not at the same level as you do because we want to get better at becoming coaches. So, yeah. uh, Julie and I swim. Julie and I swim every day, and we yeah. have. Uh, so you know how imagine you're like you know holding on backwards like your back is leaning up against the edge of the pool. You're holding on right. by your elbows and your arms, and you're kicking your legs right. Right. Try to do it with the with the op- in the opposite direction. 
<laughs> it's unbelievably oh. hard. Yes. It's unbelievably hard. You have to literally, and, and it, to this, and I've been track, I've been practicing this for probably a year and a half. It, it, it takes me probably, no exaggeration, two or three minutes before I can actually do it the way that it's, you know. <laughs> but that, that's what we're talking about. And, and you know, and, and you said something, too. And it, it, Again, I, I'm maybe making this a little bit too basic. But if we don't find reinforcement for trying to get better at what we want to get better at, or at least opening our minds to the opportunity that we're really limiting our experience on this planet – in other words, reinforcing it with other books and things you're watching and people you're surrounded by. You're just going to be constantly surrounded by reinforcement for the, uh, the, your current way of thinking. Do you find that to be true, and, and, and is that something you've experienced? Absolutely, and I feel, very, I feel very blessed because I grew up in a family where we did silly things like eating with our non-dominant hands and you know trying to do things in different creative ways. So so I was always encouraged to do that and I'm pretty sure that's what you know what helped my recovery so much. But yes, I think um encouraging, you know, making it part neuroscience like I said earlier, it's not just for aging baby boomers. Uh neuroplasticity isn't just for aging baby boomers. We can do this with kids, we can do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Why not make it a lifestyle? Why not make it you know, like part of your swimming routine, like you were talking about. It's it's fun. It's funny. It's yes, and people people can it make funny. it part of their yeah. life. And and of course, it's weird and awkward the first time you do mm-hmm. something differently, and you won't think of things immediately. But that's also part of the process. Is the more you do it, the more you're going to think of other things. I can do this a different way. I haven't thought of it before. And you know, and it isn't always going to be pretty, but, but it's it's. I the love what you have to say matters. on intelligence. I love what hmm. you have to say on intelligence. I love what mm. I, I love your perspective on intelligence. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, at the beginning of my first TEDx talk, I asked the audience um, if they consider themselves smart. And, you know, my definition of smart, had, oh, I grew up in a, in a family where academics were, were highly praised um, and, and highly encouraged. We were expected to get a college degree. We were expected to get straight A's, and, you know, it was just part of the deal. And so I always thought I was smart because I did that, because I scored high on tests and, you know, because I was well-traveled and because I read lots of books. And so after my brain injury, <laughs> I couldn't read. You know, I couldn't read a page of a, you know, a basic, you know, first grade book. So, <laughs> so I, you know, my ego took quite a blow and um, and I thought I wasn't smart anymore because all of the things by that I had defined smart by were kind of crumbling before my eyes. Um, so through this whole experience, um, I identified some of the things that I did towards my recovery in, in the brain injury just like without even knowing, I, I had I didn't have a lot of help. I had to kind of figure out my own way, and I was very high functioning, so I could. But I um, I've decided that the things that made me smart after a brain injury, and I call this my new smart, um, were resilience, creativity, and curiosity. Um, and and I think everyone probably has their own definition of of what smart is, but. Um, you know, the more I learn, the more I realize that our abilities throughout a lifetime to um, to create resilience, to to bounce back from from trauma, and to learn from that, and to adapt what we've learned for the next for the next setback is is really to me makes us smart. 
Well, talk about that, though. If you can think of some specific examples from some people you know or you've worked with, because this really is the heart of basically intelligence. I agree completely. Traditionally, and, and, you know, it's funny that, you know, my wife, more than certainly more than me, was raised very similar to you. (laughs) You know, her Mm -hmm. dad was a physicist and things of that nature. And, yeah, she was basically raised to believe the more degrees, the better, and world travel and everything Mm -hmm. you've just described. But I was reading a great article to counter that by uh, the guy that started Samuel Adams. Uh, Yesterday, actually, I read this article. And he Mm -hmm. was talking about the hardest, most important book he ever read. Now, this guy, Harvard MBA, I think he has a PhD. I mean, very, very, very well educated. Somebody, if you were to read his resume, you'd go like, you know, this is amazing. So this guy started Sam Adams. And uh, Mm. so he said the hardest book he ever had to read wasn't because it was hard to read, but because it was hard for him to get around his, I think, without using the word, it was his ego, was a book on how to sell. Because he always saw mm-hmm. selling, and he was raised to believe like think something like selling was an ignoble profession. You know, he believed that selling was beneath all this fancy, you know, Ivy League school degrees and all the rest of it. And then he realized by opening himself up to the concepts that were in this book, making himself uncomfortable, forming new neural pathways, if you will, not only did it help his business become successful, like he said, he attributes it to, you know, the biggest surge in success for Samuel Adams. But he also said it changed his life because he realized how much he'd been holding himself back by sort of these dogmatic beliefs he had about, you know, essentially how life worked. And that, that feels mm-hmm. like what we're describing now. Mm-hmm. So, so intelligence, intelligence, from what I'm hearing you say, is your willingness to learn, but also you're willing to adapt to what you're learning. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, yes. <laughs> Adaptation. Um, and and. Again, you know, it, it, as we get older, I think our tendency is to to not adapt, to just be ticked off when things change and rah, 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 you know, complain about it. Um, but after after my brain injury, there were lots of things I couldn't, like physically could not do anymore, so I was forced to adapt. And, um, you know, I started thinking about it. I started thinking like, okay, think of a, a toddler, a, a baby learning how to walk. They do not, they don't go to a class. <laughs> they don't Google it. They don't, you know, take, read about it anywhere. They just kind of figure it out on their own through um, trial and error. And some, and they all do it differently, right? They all, you know, some of them crawl, some of them scoot around holding on to things. Some of them just get up and walk right across the room. They all do it at different times. And so that, that idea that we all have our own path and to just, you know, and to, to trust your own path and to just try it without that, you know, attachment to ego, without that attachment to, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to look silly or I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. And, you know, as we get older, of course, that, that becomes more and more um, more and more of a thing for us. Um, so uh, the ability what do you mean by that? that- what- well, you just said something. I'm curious. So, what, what do you mean by that? More, it becomes more and more important to us. You mean basically the identification with uh, ego? Is that what you're referring yes. to? Yes, the identification to ego. I don't want to look silly, or you know, there's, or, or you know, I want somebody to tell me how to do this. And you know, and the research has shown that really smart, effective learners don't really care. They just like kind of dive in and figure it out. They worry about the details later. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I've read that, too. It is kind of interesting. Opposed to some, you know, so like we're talking, again, my coaching brain is thinking about, you know, the different folks that are listening right now. And if you identify listeners, if you identify yourself as maybe somebody who has a habit of getting ready to get started, in other words, you feel like you have to master everything before you do it, 
that really is at the end of the day your ego holding you back from wanting to in your mind look silly you know maybe you've been raised to believe that you know if you are ever caught in a situation where you know you don't have all the answers that somehow that's wrong or the rest of it but listen to what she just said because it's so true if you guys read any and all of you should be by the way reading biographies autobiographies just consuming information about people that are further you know up the ladder than you in any way it doesn't necessarily have to just be financially and listen, you'll you'll find a lot of commonalities. Pretty much everything she's talking about are pretty much the biggest commonalities. The willingness to look dumb, you know, willingness to take risks. But the biggest thing is losing the sort of like this is the way it is and it will always be this way. And you, you, all of you guys run into that in your lives, and maybe you're surrounded by it. Maybe you're just so, you know, entrenched in this sort of belief structure that you absolutely positively don't allow any new thoughts to enter into your life. Well, that is the exact opposite of how actually the world works. And if just like if you stopped working out and if you stopped taking care of your body, your body's going to, you know, revolt against you. Well, the same thing happens with the way you think. You know, the same thing because if you start, you know, walling yourself off to new thoughts, if you start walling yourself off to new experiences, you're basically going to start, you know, it's unfortunate, but you're going to basically you're shutting life out. And and that's so how are you doing? I mean, after this this was 5 years ago. How are you doing now? Um, I still have a lot of issues with um, uh, uh, space, spatial perception. So, like, going downstairs is really difficult for me because I can't see where um, one step ends and the next one begins. Um, huh. I still uh, I still have some balance issues. I went to yoga class this morning, and, <laughs> and, and that's always amusing because, <laughs> you know, I topple over a lot. Um the key there is to be in the back of the room. When I go to Pilates with Julie, that's where I am. I'm in the very back of the corner. And, you know, and yoga's good for my brain, right? I, I, I yeah. you know, it's, it's, I, I, I have to practice what I preach and not be afraid to look silly. Um, so yeah, I still have that. I still have some issues with with reading. I'm much slower than I used to be. I get much tired than I used to. But I try to look at it like, hey, I'm also five years older now, so who knows? Maybe that's part of the brain injury. Maybe it's just part of aging. I don't know. We all go through changes through our lives, and you know, we all have to adapt. Whether you have a brain injury or not, life changes. Our bodies change. Everything changes. So if you can't adapt and make yourself relevant to the changes, then you're, you know, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you know this, but having had friends that have had concussions before, been in accidents, whatever, it is amazing how the brain will, on its own time scale, will literally form new neuropathways. It, yeah. it, I don't know what the word, you know, that's what's amazing. And, and you know, it's, you said this, I think I watched it in one of your TED Talk videos maybe, where you were talking about, you know, had it not been for this experience, you don't want to actually say that, but had it not been for this sort of, you know, this bad experience, you wouldn't necessarily be on the path that you're on now. And maybe this is the path that you're you were always intended to be on. Is is that how you feel now? Do you do you feel that way that like sort of it's all kind of fitting together like a puzzle, or is it more yeah. random in your mind? No, no, no. I feel exactly that way. In fact, um, there is a psychological um, 
thing called post-traumatic growth, which I'm sure you as a coach have heard of. Um, you know, we've all heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, right? You know, um, but there's another thing called post-traumatic growth when people are faced with life-changing circumstances. And, I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't go through depression and sadness and all of those phases of grief that people go through when when something big in their life is taken away from them. However, you know, they are able to turn it into a growth experience, and that's called post-traumatic growth. And I'm pretty sure that's what happened to me. So I, I absolutely believe it is the right course. And, and had something different happened to me five years ago, I'd be on a different course, and that would be okay too. I'm, I'm just, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm where I need to be. <laughs> I think. Yeah, it feels like it. It also feels like you're just getting started too. If you want to, I know, am. You know, I actually uh, just got accepted like. to graduate school, so I'm working. I'm just starting to work on my oh, master's degree, so that's a little bit scary. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but there's so many there's so many people out there and that need to hear this message in one form or another because you know, unfortunately, what happens is. It, just being blunt, people do give up on life, and they start giving up on what their experiences on this planet can be. And the next thing you know, you're kind of, you know, you're round the bend, and maybe it's too late for you to do some of the things you could have done. And really, it does start with these types of conversations. And it, with the hard thing, and you know, I experienced this myself. Everyone does to a certain degree. The hard part is when you want to, when you're wanting to make a change, when you're wanting to experience new things in life, when you're wanting to have this bigger, bolder life you often find yourself alone, you know, maybe even in your immediate family, people are going to be like, well, you know, good luck with that. So you're even afraid to tell your friends and your family because they have little, you know, ways of shooting you down and holding you back. And it's not their yeah. intention to hurt you. It's because your bigger, bolder vision of yourself is in, in some way it's hurting their ego. Their ego is basically counterpunching and, you know, they'll do little. So those are the types of you know, experiences people have that keep them in the the crab bucket. If the you know the listeners are familiar with that story. I know about the crab bucket. Oh yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, guys, it's 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 sessions like this. It's reading uh, great books. It's listening to Anne's great TED talks. It's it's really connecting with the fact that what was this the statistic? We only use like it's like some ridiculously small percent of our brains. What's the percent? Um, some people say 10%, but now they're saying that's not quite right. So um, I I actually, I don't know the, the actual percent, but I know that the 10% that we've been told for many years is not right either. So, But it is, yes, a very small portion. And the key is, of course, finding those new pathways and making new connections, and that only comes through the discomfort. I mean, it's like working out, right, the first time you – you do bicep curls, it's going to hurt. <laughs> and and it's going to be sore for a few days. But then your yeah, biceps exactly. get bigger, and then, you know, you move on to your abs, and then they hurt. And, yeah, that's just that's <laughs> the way the brain works, too. <laughs> so if, if folks want to connect with you, we have over 100,000 regular listeners. If folks want to connect with you, if they want to, you know, follow this path that you've laid out in front of them so uh, elegantly, I have to say, how can they do that? My website is my name, anzacardi.com, A-N-N-Z-U-C-C-A-R-D-Y.com, but I am all over social media as well. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm very active on social media and try to provide um, good quality content and, and interact with people in real time as well as on social media. I'll throw this out there. So brokers, office managers, um, you know, regional, 
you know, whatever. You guys that are in the position to hire keynote speakers in for your conventions or your, you know, whatever events you might have, I would definitely consider having Ann in. She's not the normal real estate thing. And guess what, guys? Our industry needs more Ann. <laughs> you know, the normal oh. real estate thing is, is basically done. We need to start having people that are willing to challenge the way we think so that we can take our industry and really starting individually to the next level. And, Ann, I really appreciate you being my co-host today. I was doing more listening than I was talking, which I always appreciate because I'm learning something. And, and oh. sincere thanks for Sincere, sincere thanks for being my co-host and, and for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tim. It was wonderful. And listeners, we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. Okay. Bye-bye. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.